It's time. Time for me to step it up. It's about endurance, perseverance, dedication. It's not about just getting by. It's about giving it my all. It's about pushing it to the limit. That's the way it's meant to be. I'm done being an amateur. It's time to go pro. Good morning. How you doing this morning? You thought going pro was over, but we're jamming this thing into overtime this morning. And uh, taking one more week of going pro, and uh, I'm excited about this talk because this morning we're going to cover the one thing that we haven't yet been able to get to, and that is the idea of teammates. Uh, the people that we choose to have closest to us in life, we're going to talk about, uh, because, you know, Proverbs is a book about choices and decisions in life that have a lot to say about our future. And so what we're going to talk about today is the decisions that we make about the people that are the closest to us and how that, how that affects uh, our life. And, and I think it's one of those things, if you think about it intuitively, some of probably your most successful moments in life involve your closest friends. And then also, if, if you think about it, probably some of the most trouble you've ever gotten into, you got into it right next to some of, some of your best friends. You know, I, a lot of times I'll hear somebody say, well, you know, the reason I got into trouble was because I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But that's almost always followed by, and I was with somebody and, and ended up getting in trouble. And so let's just talk a little bit this morning uh, about teammates. And by the way, that's, that's why I'm wearing this jersey this morning. And I'll go ahead and uh, admit to you, and I always tell you what's wrong with me anyway, so I'll tell you what's wrong with me. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about the NFL. Um, I, I noticed that there are some guys that are like born instinctively knowing about pro sports. Have you noticed this? Like, I think in the hospital when they were born as a baby, they knew all of the Pro Bowl stats for the last 10, 10 years. I wasn't born with that, and I think this was really a genetic mishap because my dad obviously knows all these things. Um, and so it's really probably by mistake that I don't. But, but I, asked, I asked my dad, we we're talking about the concept of, of teammates, and he said, man, if you're talking about teammates, the jersey you want is Peyton Manning. He said, because that guy, you know, he started just rattling off for me all these MVP awards that the guy has, all these uh, all-time records that he set. And then on top of that, the guy actually has a decent attitude and is a relatively nice guy. That's pretty cool. And my dad said, look, if you're putting together a team of any sort, that has to do with football, you'd be crazy not to want to pick Peyton Manning to play on your team. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today. And I'm not just talking about, you know, just acquaintance friends. Because, you know, we know the difference, right? There's some people that we're just kind of like marginally acquainted with, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's cool if somebody were to say, are you friends with them? You'd say, oh, yeah, I, I guess so. I'm not talking about that. This morning we're honing right in on these are the people that you are closest to, the people that you're tight with, the people you would go to for advice. Somebody you would call if you were in trouble at 2 o'clock in the morning. People you can trust. People that you put faith in. That's who we're talking about this morning. Your teammates. The people that you're tight with. So let's talk a little bit about this. And, and, and as I was just mentioning, let's face it. In life, the people you're closest to have probably the most to say about whether you will have success or failure in life. And that's a pretty big statement. The people that you choose to be on your team will have a lot to say about whether you actually succeed in life. And I think a lot of people kind of make friends in sort of a 
a haphazard kind of way. You know, you ask them, how do you make friends? And I think a lot of the average people would tell you, well, I make friends with anybody who's willing to make friends with me. And I can relate to that. But at the end of the day, the Bible has told us, look, when you, the book of Proverbs is very clear. When we begin to make those huge friendships, we need to be careful about who we make our friendships with. And so two questions I I, want to try to approach um, this morning, and there's so much to say about this topic, and I hope that what I say is going to be helpful because I can't cover it all. We're going to ask two big questions. One is, how do I make the right friends? And number two is, how do I keep the right friends? How How do I interact with the right friends once I make those friendships? You know, I said a second ago that we kind of make friends in sort of a haphazard way sometimes. There's a problem with that. And that is that relationships have a kind of chemistry. You ever notice that teams, whether it's a little league team or or a pro team, no matter what it is, there's a certain chemistry to that team. And, And one player being absent from that or a new player coming into that chemistry can really take things in a different direction. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, this is why watching the draft makes sense. I mean, if you already have a team that has some superstars on it and they play pretty well, they move the ball down the field, why do we even bother to watch the draft? Well, it's because we know the team has the chemistry. And one off player or maybe the wrong kind of player that comes into that scenario could take the team in a whole different direction. See, here's the thing. Our relationships in life have a chemistry. The sorts of, and we know this, right? Because when a new friendship gets made or we lose an old friendship, we recognize our life can tend to take a different direction. And so it's very important that we make these correct. And see, here's the thing. With sports, it's just whatever, right? Because at the end of the season, even if you have a terrible season, it's just a sports season. There's going to be a next, there's going to be another one next year, right? You know, this is the only consolation for us at the end of a sports season a lot of times is, well, next year there's another one rolling around. Maybe we'll get a first, first round draft pick, you know? Um, but... In life, it's for keeps. What happens with our relationships with our friends is something that will affect the rest of our life. In fact, I was, I was thinking as I was preparing for this message that I've heard people tell me this, and I, you know, I talk to people a lot of times who are going through a really difficult time in their life, and sometimes they'll say to me something like this, you know, Jonathan, it's times like these when you really find out who your friends are. And that's true, but that's a really bad time to find out. To me, that's kind of like if I was like driving down the road and I see, you know, a bi- really bad car wreck along the side of the road, two totaled cars, and so I pull over and, and I want to make sure that everybody's okay, and I talk to the driver of one of the cars, and, and he's fine, but he's standing there next to the steaming junk heap that used to be his vehicle, and says something to the nature of, it's times like these, you really find out whether or not you have car insurance. <sighs> He'd be right. But that wouldn't be the time to find out. But you know what? A lot of us wait till a disaster hits to find out who our friends really are. But the Bible says we need to know that ahead of time. We need to make our friendships intentional. We need to choose who our friends are. We don't just need to have accidental friendships, but we need to choose. You know, the most empowering moment in, in sports, and you probably remember this from being in seventh and eighth grade, the most empowering moment in sports is when you get to choose teams, right? When, when you're the captain and you get to choose teams, and, because what you do in the next two to three minutes is going to determine whether or not the game is won by your team. For better or for worse, you have all the power in your hands at that moment to, to decide what's going to happen in that game. Now, also, just as a side note, that also has the potential to be the most embarrassing moment, right? Because, you know, I used to think that the most embarrassing moment would be if you got picked last, you know? 
Um, but then I learned there's a whole other level. I, I told you in the first message in the series that I'm not good at basketball, and I don't pretend to be good at basketball. But I would remember, uh, I remember one instance, we were getting ready to play with two team captains that were picking teams, you know, one said, I'll take Jones, and the other one said, I'll take Smith, and the other one said, I'll take Peters. I was the last one standing, and I really did feel that that was an embarrassing moment. But then, then something just took it to the next level, because the one team said, well, I guess you have Hoover, and they said, no, nope, we're good. Turns out that's the most embarrassing moment. <laughs> so if we're supposed to choose our friendships, if we, need to, if we need to intentionally make those decisions, then who should make the cut? You know, a pro scout, when he goes and checks out, pro, you know, checks out college games looking for somebody to come in and join the pro team, he does have, I'm assuming, some qualifications that these players need to meet in order to be able to play on a pro team. And we need to have some qualifications for people to meet before they can be a part of our team. So I want to give you quickly three qualifications. If somebody's going to be on your team, there are three things that need to be the case with this person before they really make the cut. The first one is they need to have the same goal. They need to have the same goal. Now, here's the deal. If I'm playing football with somebody else, I don't necessarily need them to want to play the same position I'm playing. That'd be weird. But I do expect them to want to move the ball down the field and in the same direction, and, and hopefully with the understanding to go towards the goal line. And see, a lot of times in friendships, we, we, we have relationships with people um, that don't have a similar goal, don't have the same goal, and, and when we start to verbalize what our goals are in life, it's like it's not making it through. We're telling them the things that are important to us, we're trying to communicate the things that are, that are, that are our life's work, what we're working towards, and it's just, it's just not making it there because their goals are completely in a different direction, and here's the deal. That's a good acquaintance, but it's not, that is not the, the basis for a quality friendship. You need people with the same goal in life. Let me read this to you out of 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner, we're going to come back to that word in a second, with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? The Bible's saying, don't team up with unbelievers. And then it says, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? That word partner there means a shareholder. Just like we would say two people are business partners. They each have a stake in that business. But see, here's the deal. When you have an intimate friendship with somebody, when you are absolutely very tight with somebody, they're close to you, but you don't have the same goal, you don't, you're not shareholders in the same enterprise. And this is the beauty of a relationship when two people have the same goal. And, and in fact, we know from secular research in the field of marriage that even people who are not Christians that are studying why marriages succeed and fail, they tell us over and over again, the most powerfully strong marriages are marriages where people have a shared goal. And there's a reason for that. When you share a goal, you are already mutually invested in each other. Because what the other person is already invested in you're invested in. And so you already have this commonality. It's, it's not about having things in common. It's about having goals in common. That's what's huge. You might have, if you have an older translation, you might have the term there being unequally yoked. This is the idea of putting two incompatible animals in the same harness. 
Now, as you can imagine, what happens if you do this is, at best, they'll stand still, right? At worst, they'll just walk around in circles the whole time. Because two incompatible animals will pull against each other in the harness. And this is what the Bible is telling us. When you put two people who are headed in two different directions in the same harness, they will completely walk in circles the whole time and never get anywhere because they can't agree on where they're going. You might remember this from from when you were in uh, junior high, maybe, and you you had your first um, science lab experiment, you know, and you took copious notes in your class and were all ready to go into the lab and have, you know, a great science project, and and you were going to get a great grade on this, and you were really putting all of yourself into it, and, and, you know, you don't get to choose your lab partner, but you're just hoping it's going to turn out okay, and you walk into the lab, and you get your apron on and your gloves and your dorky-looking goggles, and you're ready to go, and and you look over here, and here's your partner uh, experimenting with the Bunsen burner trying to make it into a portable marshmallow roaster. And you're thinking to yourself, this guy is going to tank my grade. I can't be partnered up with this guy. And in the eighth grade, we get this. But we grow up, and in life later on, we sort of forget that lesson. And we partner up with somebody who's just goofing off and doesn't have the same goal. But we, we, for some reason, we just don't think it through. But the thing is, you, we, ha- we need that same ability that we used to have to go, if, if I spend time with this person who's goofing off, I'm never going to get where I'm trying to get because we don't have the same goal. Now, that's what effect this has on your success. But look what effect it has on you. Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Walk with the wise and become wise. One of the first verses my dad ever taught me was a verse in the Bible that talks about iron sharpening iron. Basically, it means that positive friendships take people to the next level. If, if, if you have a positive friendship, your friendship with that, with that individual is going to take you to a new level of respect for God, to a new level of success in life. You'll, have, you'll hit on all eight cylinders, but when you make a friendship with somebody who's taking you downward, it's a prediction of, of trouble. I'm certain there's a lot of ways we could look at the verse that I just read, but there's one way we could also consider this. And that is, it says, walk with the wise and become wise. What does the book of Proverbs tell us about wisdom? The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is an understanding of who God is and who we are. The beginning of wisdom is perspective about us and God. The Bible is saying if we walk with people who have the right perspective about us and God, we will get even more perspective about our relationship with God. We'll grow closer to God and we'll be more successful. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In effect, the Bible's saying the fool is making a practice of stiff-arming God. The Bible's telling us, look, if you team up with people who stiff-arm God, you're headed for trouble. So I, I, wanna, I wanna take what I just said and, and put it this way. Now this is probably the most important thing I will say all morning long. And you may agree with me, you may not agree with me, but I would ask you to think this through because I believe this is very true, and that is this. What your friends have to say about God has a lot to say about your future. What your closest friends have to say about God has a lot to say about your future. Amos 3.3 says this, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can you imagine the weirdness of two people walking in opposite directions, but 
pretending that they're walking together. You know, what makes me think, every time I read this verse, I think about getting on an airplane. Because you ever, I don't know now that the restrictions are what they are. I can't pay attention. I don't pay attention when I go on board. I guess you can't see in the cockpit anymore. But I know but when I first started flying, when you walk, when you walk onto the airplane, you could see the, the cockpit here and the pilots here and so forth. Do you notice that, that there's like controls where they can both, the pilot and the co-pilot can both hang on there in the middle of the, of the aircraft there? Can you imagine if you got on an airplane and one pilot wanted to go to California and the other pilot wanted to go to New York? That's not a flight I want to be on. I think I'm going to end up using my seat cushions on that flight. Here's the thing. The Bible is saying if you're going to have success, you have to agree on the direction. Pilot and co-pilot are going to fly a plane. They need to know. Both of them need to know exactly where they're headed. Elsewise, trouble will ensue. And we've got to learn that when it comes to friendships. Number two, it needs to be someone with the same respect for boundaries. In sports, no matter what game there is, have you noticed that there are boundaries in every sports game? You know, in football, we have sidelines. We have uh, yard markers. We have referees. Um, there are boundaries in just about every game. And here's the deal. The only way you'll have any kind of successful enterprise in playing the game is if you're playing with people who have respect for those boundaries. But you know, one of the most difficult situations in life is to get teamed up with somebody who doesn't have the same understanding of the boundaries that you do. You know, maybe if you get teamed up really close with someone who says, I don't understand why you're staying with your spouse. I would just leave them. I would just leave. What are you hanging in there for? And you'd say, well, no, no, no. See, I believe that God wants me to stay in there. I believe God wants me to work on my marriage. And, and I, I, I believe God wants, wants me to try to, to use the, the power of, of his word in my life to try to, to try to bring this marriage back together. Your friend, if your friend doesn't respect the same boundaries you respect, they are going to laugh in your face and tell you that is the craziest thing they have ever heard. But here's the deal. When you have friends who have the same respect for boundaries that you do, they will help you reinforce those boundaries. That is huge. And take the same situation and go back. If you go, if you go to your friend who has the same respect for boundaries you have and say, I'm struggling in my marriage, but I believe God wants me to hang in there, they're going to say, yes, he does. What can I do to help? That is a true friend. The friend that has the same respect for boundaries. Let me, let me read you this verse. There's always somebody who wants to say, forget the boundaries. Life's too short, right? And in, and in 1 Corinthians, uh, there were some people messing around with the church telling them that, hey, life's too short. You shouldn't pay attention to the boundaries. And Paul says this, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Come on, Jonathan. Won't I rub off on them? I mean, you're you're saying they're going to rub off on me. Won't, won't I rub off on, on them? Well, um, let me tell you a little, little story. When I, when I um, first got married, I had this wild hair that I wanted to work in the automotive industry, and I, I wanted to work in the service side of the industry. So uh, as I was getting some training, I was, I was working at night uh, in a pits, in the pits, and I, I do mean it was the pits, but I was working in the pits underneath cars doing uh, oil changes and other um, sub-carriage work there. And um, by the way, if you've never worked in that sort of situation, let me just tell you, some of the grimiest, junkiest, ugliest stuff comes off the bottom end of people's cars, especially during the wintertime. And I remember it was, a, it, was a, it was a cold winter in Wyoming. I was underneath these cars, and, and um, I had this big oil drain 
that, that was right there next to me where all the stuff from people's cars, the nasty used stuff would go in, right? And, and um, also, do you guys know anything about Mr. Pibb? Do they ever, have they ever had Mr. Pibb here? In, okay, so you guys have maybe. It's kind of like Dr. Pepper. And I was going through a Mr. Pibb phase, and I had gotten a big, giant Mr. Pibb with no lid. You guys are getting ahead of me here. So I, I put my Mr. Pib right here, and I had my oil drain pan here, and I was, I was working on cars. And I don't know how it happened, but I guess at some point, because I, I can't speak to how this exactly happened, but at some point, I guess a drain plug must have, like, dropped in there or something. And some of the nonsense that was in this drain pan must have jumped out and gotten into my Mr. Pib. What complicates the situation is that Mr. Pib already looks like used oil. And uh, so I, I experienced some rather tainted uh, Mr. Pibb, and since then I've never been able to drink anything that tastes remark- remotely like it. Um, but you know what's interesting? My Mr. Pibb didn't turn that oil into Mr. Pibb. That oil turned my Mr. Pibb into stuff you wouldn't want to drink. So can I, can I just tell you in love, you, your influence is great in people's lives, and, and you, need to, you need to use your influence to, to show Christ to others. But when it comes to your tight circle, when it comes to the people you are closest to, let me tell you something. If they are on a completely different path, and they have corrupt intentions, or, or, or what the Bible used to say, that they're in an older translation as bad manners, let me just tell you, what will happen is they will rub off on you. You will not rub off on them. Proverbs 22, 24, uh, and 25 is probably one of the scarier passages in the Bible. It says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or, and these are seven scary words, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. You will learn to be like them. Whether or not we recognize it, our friends are giving us an education on how to live our life. You know, we see this, right, with our kids. When our kids hang out with other kids, they begin to pick up the habits of the kids that they hang out with. When we were kids, we did the same thing. The phrases that our friends said, the clothes that our friends wore, the stupid things they did. We got in on the act. Our parents said, if everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you? And we all asked, how high is the cliff? Um, But the thing about it is, we as adults, okay, As adults, we need to come to the point that we recognize that our friends are educating us on how to live our lives. So if we want to know what our lives are going to look like years down the road, we need to look at our friends. We ask ourselves, is that where my life is headed? Is that where I want my life to go? That's an important question about our close friends. Okay, so I got to move on quickly, very quickly. Um, Third thing about a friend that'll make the cut is it needs to be someone who has our best interest at heart. If somebody's going to make the cut, they need to have the same goal, they need to have the same respect for boundaries, and they need to have our best interest at heart. Proverbs 18.24 says this, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. That word means friends who break each other to pieces, in quotes. These are friends who destroy each other. We've seen this a lot of times, right? People say they're friends, but they hurt each other. You ever seen somebody who's gossiping about somebody and when you find out who they're gossiping about, it turns out that it's one of their friends? 
That's not a real friend. The Bible says this, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal. In the textbook of your life, when you start writing down definitions, put this down, a friend is always loyal. If they're not loyal, they're not your friend. So the second question I said I was gonna, I was gonna talk about, and I'm gonna hurry through this very, very quickly, but the second question I said I was gonna talk about is how do you keep good friends? The first one was how do you make good friends, but the second one is how do you keep good friends? How do you interact with these people once you've found them and you have a friendship with them? What kind of friends should we be? Well, the first thing is we need to be a truth teller. We need to be a truth teller. A good friend is always genuine. Let me read this verse to you out of Romans 12. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Listen, your friends, your real friends, are the ones who will tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. That's your real friend. The Bible says that a real friend is genuine. A real friend tells the truth. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What is the Bible telling us? When, when, even when your friend gives you some advice that stings a little bit, that's better than a kiss up who doesn't care about you. And that advice is valuable. Proverbs 27, 9 says this, perfume and incense bring joy to your heart and a friend is sweeter. The idea here is a friend is sweeter than that when he gives you honest advice. We need to be a truth teller. Second thing is we need to be a motivator. A good friend knows how to bring the best out of people. You need to be a motivator. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, let us think of ways, and, and I, in my Bible I have those three words underlined, think of ways. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That word motivate there means to start something. Almost the same idea of picking a fight. You ever know somebody who you, you just know, they're just always sitting there thinking of ways to start something. Yeah. Nobody, nobody elbow your husband right now, okay? We, We'll, we'll back off. But, you, you know, you'd say, oh, yeah, I, I know somebody like that at work. You know, they're always picking a fight. They're always starting something, all right? You know, I, I, even when I was a kid, there was, this, there was this person, they were always picking a fight. They're always starting something. What the Bible is saying is that a good friend is always starting something, but what he's always starting is he's always starting somebody in the path to doing something good. It's almost like a dare, can you, you remember when you were a kid, the, the, the easiest way to get you to do something stupid was for a friend to dare you to do something, right? And, and it was like, if, if you were dared and you didn't do it, you're a dork, right? So, so you gotta do it when you're dared. But what the Bible here is talking about is, we need to be daring people to take their life to the next level. We need to think of ways, the Bible says, to dare somebody to be a better parent, to dare somebody to love God more, to dare somebody to be a better spouse, to dare somebody to trust God. We need to figure out what are some creative ways I can dare somebody to take their life to the next level. That's what a good friend does. And that's the challenge that we see here. I've gotta hurry quickly. The third thing is, you need to be a promoter. First thing was you need to be a truth teller. Second thing is you need to be a motivator. Third thing is you need to be a promoter. A good friend always takes his friends to the next level. You ever um, know somebody who used their position to make other people feel small? 
You've been around somebody who, who they have some position, they have a title, and, and they take that and they use it to, to, to keep people under their thumb. That was the opposite, the absolute opposite of what Jesus did when he came to earth. Because when Jesus came to earth, he used his position to serve us. Let me read this passage to you out of Philippians 2. In fact, I'm going to skip down to verse 5 here. It says, you must have the same attitude, the same direction in life that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, we're talking about his position here, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Basically, the Bible's saying he didn't use his position to elevate himself. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. <clears throat> the Bible says we need to have the same attitude of Christ. But what was the attitude that Christ had? The attitude that Christ had was he said, look, I'm going to use my position to elevate you. And that's what a real friend does. A real friend takes his position and puts it to work to elevate someone else. There's a lot of people who've had a lot of influence in my life. have helped me to um, to find the path that, that God has had for me and, and influenced me in different ways. And some, you know, I think of my grandpa, almost 50 years at the same church, and the things that he's taught me has been so valuable. If you said, Jonathan, narrow it down to two people who've had the biggest influence in your life and helping shape where you're at in the ministry. One would, of course, be my, my dad, but the other of the two people, if I had to pick, um, just went home to be with the Lord this last week in a tragic motorcycle accident. Um, and he was the pastor of my last church. Uh, and he and I had a special relationship because he did something for me that, that I'll never forget. I had been a member at his church for some time, and, and I had really felt that God was calling me to the ministry, but it didn't make any sense because I didn't have the pedigree and I didn't have the education. And when I sat down and looked at the thing on paper, I thought, this is crazy. There's, there's no way. It doesn't make any sense. And at that church, they had an invitation at the end of the service. You walked down the aisle, and if you had a decision to make, you came forward and made a decision. The pastor uh, would stand there in the, in the front. And uh, so my wife and I walked down, and, and uh, I told Dr. Day, I said, uh, Dr. Day, I don't know what this means, but I really believe God's called me to the ministry. I don't know what the future holds, but I, I'm just surrendering to God and saying, I, I want to do whatever he's asked me to do. And um, there were a lot of unanswered questions at that moment. But it wasn't too awful long before I got a phone call. And Alan said, you know, Jonathan, he said, I, I believe God has a future for you, and I believe God has potential for you. And he said, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I want you to join our staff. So I want you to come be a member of our staff here at first. And let me tell you something. For the rest of my life, I will never forget that Alan gave me my first opportunity to serve at a church. Because it didn't make any sense. I think people thought he was crazy to do that. But he has a big part in where I'm at. And let me tell you this. This, this uh, past Monday morning when Alan got up, he intended to be preaching this morning in his pulpit. I'm sure, knowing Alan, I'm sure he already had a message ready to go. And this morning he's with the Lord. But you know what? I'm here and there, there are guys my age and a little older all around this country this morning that are proclaiming God's word because of influence that he had in their lives. See, Alan used his position to elevate us. He was a true friend. He was the kind of friend you want to have. He was the person who said, I'm going to take my position and put it to work to elevate 
somebody else. Can I ask you this morning, who have you elevated? Who have you motivated? Who have you promoted? That's a big challenge in life to do that. And I, I want to I say this as, a, as I'm closing out this morning. There's no better way to promote somebody in life. There's no better way to use your position to elevate someone than to introduce them to Jesus Christ. That is the best way you can elevate someone. In fact, my favorite story in the Bible, I have no time to read it. I'm just going to kind of give you the Google Earth view of it. I think probably my favorite story in the Bible, the first thing I ever got in front of a group of people and talked about was a story in, in the book of Luke where there was a paraplegic and, and um, his friends felt very bad for him. And they thought, if we could just get him to Jesus, if we could just get him to Jesus, Jesus would be able to heal him. So they took him to the house where Jesus was, but the house where Jesus was was packed, and they couldn't get in, and at the door they got turned away. But see, the thing about it was, they didn't take no for an answer. They said, I've got to get my friend to Jesus. And they went on top of the roof of that house, and they tore the roof apart and let him down on his cot into the middle of the house there right in front of Jesus. It's interesting they elevated him by letting him down, but in any case, they got him to Jesus. That's how you can elevate your friends. You say, Jonathan, what's the best way I can use my position to elevate my friends? Tell them about Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus. That is the best thing you can do for them. That's how to be a good friend. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? You know, the best friend you can have is Jesus Christ. There is no better friend in your life that you can have than him. And the Bible says he wants to be your friend. Here's the thing. Jesus has paid the price for everything you've ever done wrong. And he's made the gift of his forgiveness available to you. All he's waiting for is for a yes. He wants to know, will you accept or reject his gift? This is your opportunity. Maybe you say, Jonathan, I want that relationship with Christ. This is your opportunity. You can make that decision right now. I'm going to say the words to a prayer. You can follow along with me. My words aren't important. The important thing is you mean this in your heart to God. Here's that prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. Today, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus.